Good afternoon, everyone. Good to see you. Good to be back with you. Good to be able to worship Jesus with you. And I just want to say this. Many of you know um, that a couple weeks ago I was in the hospital for about a week dealing with some stuff to do with my intestines. And it was a really uh, a challenging season for me. And I was kind of weak the last few weeks. But I want to thank every one of you that prayed for me, that prayed for my family. I am feeling so much stronger, so much better, and I am just so blessed to be with our church family here today, and I just want to let you know that your prayers are incredible, and they are effective, and so thank you, thank you, thank you. It is awesome to be here. God is Jehovah Rapha. He is our healer, amen? And uh, so next week, I'm excited as well. We've got so many things going on. You've already heard about it because we have Easter next week, but we're doing a good Friday service, and I'm so excited to be able to do that. So if that's something that en encourages you and you are able to be free to join us at noon, it's going to be a simple, as Naomi said, service, but it's going to be powerful. And then next week, three services on Easter. We just want to make room for you to be able to bring friends and family, so invite people, encourage people. Uh, and, uh, and if one o'clock is something you've never done before, maybe Give that one a try. We'll see if we like it. If it's something that's good for us, who knows what's going to happen. Maybe we'll end up having three services in the future here real quick because of what God is going to do. I think it's an awesome, awesome thing. Well, because I haven't preached to you for a few weeks, I got lots inside of me. Lots that's built up here today. And I'm going to be able to share with you uh, something to conclude our gospel-centered generosity. And again, I want to say a big welcome to those who are online as well. It is awesome being able to be with you, share with you. Um, but I've got some things that are inside of me, and I want to just say this right from the beginning, that I have such a burden in my heart for people to have freedom in every area of their life. That I'm believing that God wants to produce freedom in every part of your life, including financial freedom. And, and, and I know that when we talk about finances, and especially in church circles, there can be so many different stigmas and thoughts and what should be done, what shouldn't be done, do we do it too little, too much, all of those things. And, I, and as I shared a few weeks ago, I be, believe that the Bible has so much to say about finances because how we spend our money is so, con is so deeply connected to how we live our lives. And so freedom and blessings along with difficulties and challenges are connected to having a proper understanding of biblical finances. That our money along with our lives is primarily, now this is what we've been talking about in gospel Center generosity, it's primarily not for us, but a tool that God provides for us to spread the gospel, his good news, the word of Jesus. And we're in that season, aren't we? That Jesus we get to celebrate next Sunday that Jesus is alive. Can I hear an amen for that? Ah, man, I believe that's a good thing. And to, so to, that, that we talked about our main scripture, Matthew 6, 33, uh, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and then what does it say? All other things will be added to you. Everything else will be added to you. Now, I, I've got to say this. We have to understand, though, that there's something that isn't always glamorous to talk about. It's, it's the area of foundations, the importance of foundation. Now, we've all probably seen this picture before. We know what this is, if it's going to come on the screen here in just a moment. Yes, we know this, the leaning 
power of Pisa. We've, we've been, who here's ever been to Italy? You've been, and you've seen it. You've, you've visited it. That, that, that's incredible. That's one of my uh, desires to do one of these days. But something that's very interesting about this, we, we look at, we're like, why did they build it this way? Uh, no, they didn't actually desire to build it this way. What actually happened was when they built it, they only built the foundation half as deep as it needed to be. They, they only went down half as it, and, and of course, over time, the ground settled. And so, I, I don't know if any of you have been around a new home or something, you build it, it settles, your driveway looks a little different, your garage sinks a little bit, maybe your basement, there's a crack. So it settled, and then it began to list and tilt. And then, we, we, so we've got this infamous lean that we see in the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Why? Because the foundation uh, wasn't what it needed to be. Now, when I was growing up, my sister and I, we, we loved to build tent forts in the living room with couch cushions, uh, big cardboard boxes when they were available. Who here did that stuff as well? Blankets, coffee tables, and other random items. It was, it was good stuff, wasn't it? It was fun. And the trick was always to get everything to hold together, to stay together. Now, one wrong move, or, now maybe you, those of you that have brothers and sisters will relate to this, or sibling retaliation, and the whole thing would come crashing down. It, why? Because, because there was no foundation. And we have to understand today that foundations are so important, but nobody really gets excited about looking at foundations. I mean, how many of you go around the city and you're like, wow, that is a beautiful foundation. You know, we don't go around like, you know, you go to a job site and they're building a house. You don't go like, man, those guys really built that found that, that is a solid foundation. No, we look at the house. We look at the beauty. We look at the, the bigger picture, but we typically don't think about the foundation. But who here knows that a good foundation is important? And so today, we're going to talk about the fact that that in our finances, foundations are important. We, we, we know that Jesus talked about in the book of Matthew and Luke and, and, and other gospels that there's a difference between the wise builder and the foolish builder, that the wise builder built on a good, strong foundation. So how do we have a healthy foundation? Well, I, I believe that, that unfortunately most people start off with a poor financial understanding in their lives. You know, people go to school and they get grades for doing chemistry and biology and English and math. But one of the things schools typically don't teach is like how to handle money, <laughs> how to balance a checkbook, how to, what's the proper way to get a mortgage and all these things. And so all of a sudden we graduate and freedom comes into our lives. And because we are so able easily to get credit cards and other forms of debt, people begin their financial journey typically with a spin first mentality like oh i like this it looks awesome i like those jeans those shoes i need a new cell phone a car it's it, it, it's so easy to do it and and trust me i remember being 20 years old and 18 years old and i was like that too and i get that things can be expensive like rent and food and purchases and the problem is that we get into routines if we're not careful where we push for the nicer things in life without a plan of how to pay for them. And I'm not against nice things. I want you to know this today, God isn't against nice things. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. He likes nice things. Uh, heaven is paved with streets of gold. I think he likes nice things. 
But the problem is, is we get into routines where we, we start to, to build up these debts and these things, and it doesn't take long for bills to pile up, things to consume us. And most people are one missed paycheck or emergency situation from disaster. And it produces so much pressure. You see, the mistake is that we develop a spend-first mentality. I call it a no-win cycle. And I call it the cycle of lack. You see, we can't even think about being generous. Why? Because we're holding on for survival. We're holding on for dear life. So what is the cycle? How, what is it in, in more detail? And I shared a little bit about this a few weeks ago, but I, I want to speak a little bit deeper. It's where every two weeks, all of us get something that we receive for, for income, like a paycheck or dividends on our business. Whatever it is, we, we get bonuses, gifts. And our first inclination or the first thing that we do is we realize, we look at our bills, we look at our debts, we look at our, our life, and we, we, our first inclination is to spend for things like rent and utility, entertainment. And you know, for those of us that have, uh, are in a family, but maybe if we're on our own, it's because we have a car payment or nice clothes or other things that we, we get involved with. And the problem is, is that if we don't understand proper financial foundations, it eventually creates a deficit or the need to produce more through a second or third job. And I see people that are just struggling. They're trying so hard. You see, all of a sudden, everything begins to pile up on us, and it produces stress and worry. If you've never had an anxiety attack, be thankful. They're terrible. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to wake up in the middle of the night and go, ah, how do I handle this, God? What do I do? You see, it will not only produce a deficit in our finances, but it can put a strain on our relationships. It can even challenge your faith in God. You see, most couples in, in, in their marriages and relationships fight about usually three things. They're the three most common things. Uh, children, do we have children? How many children do we have? How do you raise children? How do you discipline children? Do I like children? Do you like children? Who likes children? Second thing is sex. How much is too much? I like a little, you like a lot. What is it? It's a, it's, it can become a challenge. But the most popular and challenging topic is money. And now I want to say this, that deficits are not always financial. You know that wealthy people can have incredible lack? Lack of peace, lack of joy, lack of freedom. You see, without God, without God being first, I want to tell you this today, there's never enough. If God's not first, there's never enough of whatever it is that you fill your life with. But the Bible says there's a better way. There's a, a better pattern. And I call it the cycle of blessing. And again, I want to read Matthew 6.33 again. It says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Oh, listen to this. Wait a second. Seek God first. Seek him above all else. His righteousness and God, God will take care of me. That's what it says. See, this is how this pattern works. Again, every two weeks. You get something in the form of income, a paycheck, a dividends in your business, a big commission, selling a property, whatever it is. There's a lot of ways we can make money. And the first thing you do is you give back to God what already belongs to him as an act of thanksgiving or obedience. 
And he blesses you with the ability because he blesses each one of us with the ability to earn income. And because you give to him first, listen to this, he blesses you in many different ways, but not only limited to your finances, it pours out into every other area of your life. Now, I know that we all go through short periods of testing. It happens. You can do everything exactly according to what I'm saying. It doesn't mean that you won't be tested, but here's what I believe. You eventually will always have enough or more than enough. And that begins to enlarge your faith. And you want to give more. Why? Because it becomes contagious. A lifestyle of generosity is birthed. And all of a sudden, you look forward to not only giving to the church, but everywhere you see an opportunity to give. And it begins to draw people to you because they see this person is just so generous, so free, so joyful, so full of life. And you begin to see changes and transformation in people's lives as God changes them because of his gospel and the saving grace of his word. Hallelujah. Who's not excited about that? I like, I like that cycle way better. And I believe this, that most want to give, but they do not necessarily have the right foundation. So what is the foundation to generosity? Now, Again, I didn't get into the business of being a pastor because I always knew that people were going to love everything I shared or taught or knew. But I'm going to use a word today that is going to probably, some of you are going to go like, yeah, others are going to be like, ooh, and others are going to be like, ah. But the foundation of generosity begins with the first step of tithing. See, the first reference to tithing was in the book of Genesis, Genesis 14. 20 verse B, it says, Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. You see, we, we, the story that happened in the Bible is that uh, Abram was in the valley of Sodom and Gomorrah before it was destroyed, and, and there were some other kings that were trying to take over him, and he defeated a king called Kidlermander. Say that five times really fast. And like most winning generals, he took all of the spoils of war and he decided, he saw a priest of God named Melchizedek and he gave him 10% of all of it because he wanted to honor God. See, the tithe literally means just 10% or 10. And here's what we need to understand, that our first 10% belongs to God. Well, actually, if you really study the word of God, everything belongs to God. <laughs> but he just says, give back 10%, you can use the 90. Not the second 10% or the leftovers, but the first part. And I want to say this day, my heart is not to judge anybody here. I know that there's a lot of opinions of what we should or shouldn't be doing. I'm just here to tell you, this is what I, the Bible speaks to me, that, that God wants to give people freedom. But if you want to be free, you got to fo follow the pattern. You got you to have the right foundation. Now, one of the greatest arguments against tithing, and I'm going to go through a couple of them here today, is that it's an Old Testament practice, that it was under the Mosaic law. And you're right, it, it, it was part of that as well. And you, many people believe that when Jesus came to earth and died on the cross, he abolished certain practices like animal sacrifices. Who thinks that was abolished? We're glad we're not doing that. I, I would be a terrible person for that. Uh, the need for priestly prayers or for a priest to pray for you on your behalf or how about this one the practice of tithing some people believe that it, it ended there and here's what's true it is true that jesus through his death 
burial and resurrection, that animal sacrifice was no longer required because he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled it. And he became the sacrifice. And that we no longer need a priest to pray for us because in the New Testament, we're all called to be priests. But he also said this in Matthew 5, 17. Don't misunderstand why I've come. I've not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I've come to accomplish their purpose. But then what about tithing? What Was that fulfilled or is it still expected? Well, when we look at grace versus the law, we need to see how the requirements have changed. And, and does that issue stop? or go through the cross. Let me ask you this. In the Bible, in the, in the Old Testament, one of the key things of the law was the Ten Commandments. It says, thou shall not murder. Now, did that stop at the cross? Or in the spirit of grace, are we allowed now to murder people if we want to? No, I think we all agree murder is bad. No murder. How about this? Thou shall not commit adultery. Did that stop at the cross? Nope. I even know this, people that aren't believers in Jesus, uh, you go in, 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 in your marriage and sleep with somebody else, there's going to be a big problem for you. It doesn't stop at the cross. How about, thou shalt have no other gods before me? Did that stop at the cross? No, it went through. And, and here's what we have to realize, not only, and some people forget about this, not only do these requirements go through the cross, but here's the crazy part. The standard of grace is actually higher. Because he didn't Jesus say, not only thou you shall you not murder somebody, but if you have anger in your heart towards a brother or a sister, it's like you've murdered them already in your heart. And he said, not only shall you not commit adultery, but if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. See, the law dealt with our actions, whereas grace looks to change our hearts. So what does that mean for us? Or when it comes to giving and generosity, are we obligated to give or are we free to do whatever we want to do? Is it a requirement or is it my choice to give? Well, we say that we share the scripture many times in our offerings in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Paul wrote this. He said, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. Oh, Pastor Todd, that doesn't sound like tithing's in there. It sounds pretty freeing. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Now, I think what we need to understand when we look at this is, first of all, that, that when we read the scripture, it's not if we give, <laughs> but when we give. We should do so without reluctance or pressure. Some of you are like, well, you're putting pressure on me right now. You're preaching about this. I'm feeling pressure. Well, okay, I'll get to that in a minute. The assumption that Jesus is making or Paul is making here in this teaching is that we're already giving, that we're not to give under obligation, but out of a willing heart. It's really a heart thing. Why? Because it should be, what he's saying is it should be in your heart already to give. And unfortunately, remember how I said grace always demands a bit more? Unfortunately, this scripture is used by many people, not anybody that's attending here today. This is not how it works in our church. You guys are super spiritually awesome. You know your Bible. But I've heard other Christians, you know, say this, that 
they use it as a reason to not give anything or very little. Because then we take this, interpret this the wrong way, is that, well, I only give when I feel like it. And today I don't feel like it. And I don't know if I'm going to feel like it tomorrow. So I got to ask this question, what part of Christianity relies on feeling-based decisions? How about do we worship when we feel like it? What does the Bible say about worship? Are we to worship God? Have you ever come to church and not felt like worshiping God? Oh yeah, me too. But we don't live our life by that. We live it by a principle. How about I'm only nice to people when I feel like it? Well, we agree in principle, but you don't know about what my neighbor, (laughs) that guy's a jerk. And I don't feel like liking him. Well, let's see what the Bible says about that. See, it's sometimes we can get in trouble when we think it's okay to follow godly principles when we feel like it. In fact, I want to say this. There is a challenge in the church of North America, especially, that many Christians live their lives with that perspective. I do things, biblical things, when I feel like it. Now, in the book of Malachi... We see that there's a change that God is addressing because this was the book that was at the end of the Old Testament, was the the bridge between the last prophet who spoke to us and, as well, Jesus who is coming onto the scene. And in the book of Malachi, we see that the nation of Israel has fallen for the trap that I'm talking about, serving God the way they felt like they wanted to serve him, according to their own desires and their own interests and because they were doing this really the book of malachi is is a listing of god where he's saying to israel look there's some places that you're not honoring me you you've dishonored me in in their worship and the way that they were caring for the poor and the needy people that were among them and and, in the the leaders even the priest behavior towards people they were not love or concern or compassion and even god challenges them about tithing and their offerings. You see, they were doing church their own way, and they were wondering why it wasn't being blessed. And here's what God says to the prophet Malachi in chapter 3, verses 8 and 10. And many of you have heard this before. It said, should people cheat God? Yet you've cheated me. This is God speaking. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? And I can hear that this question is like this. They were thinking, look, God, we're coming to the temple. We're offering our sacrifices. We're, we're doing many things, but, but we feel like we're doing good. Why are you upset with us? Why aren't you blessing us? And God says to them, you've cheated me of the tithes and offerings due me. You're under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of our heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. You see, that is, that, that is the essence of, of Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God above all else in his righteousness, and I will provide for you. I will take care of you. You see, we have to remind ourselves this. When it comes to biblical principles that God is the one who sets the patterns. We have to understand that there are certain laws 
in the universe. We know this. We understand the law of gravity. If I throw a ball up, what's it going to do? It's going to come back down. And gravity works regardless of whether we agree with it or not. Just the other day, I was, went out to, to take my dog to, to do her business outside. And it was right when that crazy snow uh, storm hit. And I didn't realize that my front porch had turned into a glare ice situation. And I walked out the door, and I've got my dog on the leash, and all of a sudden my feet went up in the air. And I waved my hands like, I don't know, I don't think I'm going to do it. Um, but I was up in the air, and eventually everything that went up had to do what? Come down, and I landed. Thankfully, the dog got out of the way. Because she's a chihuahua, it would have been... I wouldn't hate, I'd hate to explain that to my wife. Okay. It doesn't matter. Listen, folks, it doesn't matter, does it, whether we agree with gravity or not? I remember as a kid, I tried jumping off the roof of my house. I wanted to fly. But gravity wins. Because it's a law. And it's the law, unless a higher law takes effect, like the law of thermodynamics. That's how our planes fly, but we're not going to talk about that today. You see, the law is the law, whether we like it or not. And the lawgiver God makes the laws for giving and generosity. You can disagree with the law, but it will not change the law. So from this chapter, what are some things that we need to understand? I want to repeat, I've repeated this, but I think it's so important. You've got to get this into your heart and your spirit that we've got to give to God first. The, this is the absolute key to gospel-centered generosity is that we give to God first. We do it before we take care of our own needs. It's the principle of the seed. What is the principle of the seed? If we were farmers, and some of you grew up in farming situation, um, where you could go buy seed at your local feedlot, you, but back in the day, they didn't do it that way. What they had to do is once they, 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 a crop came in, what did they have to do? They had to put some seed aside for next year's planting. And they would take the best seed, and they would take the healthiest seed, and they'd put it away. Why? Because they knew that their future depended upon it. Because if they ate all of the seed, they used it all for food, what would happen? Eventually, they'd run out. And there wouldn't be any more seed, and there wouldn't be any crops, and they'd be in a place of lack, and they would eventually die. You see, seed represents the potential for growth, for multiplication. And when we give to the Lord, we are planting seed in his kingdom that has potential not only for financial growth, but spiritual transformation. That's why it's gospel-centered generosity. This isn't just so for, for paying bills and for salaries and stuff, it's so that people can be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, in order to tap into this principle, we must give to God first. It's making seek first the kingdom God a real life principle. But the second thing they talked about here in Malachi, they said, bring it to the storehouse. Now, the storehouse for the nation of Israel was the temple. Everything they did in their community was around the temple. Their sacrifices, their, the, the, if they had issues in their life, they would come to the temple. It, it represented the presence of God. It's where God was at. And the tithe was brought to the temple. 
to honor God and to provide for the priests and the temple workers and their families. It was just part of the whole system. When, when everybody did their part, everything worked really well. But what does that mean for us today? Well, the modern translation for the storehouse represents a place in heaven or a place where we store up treasures for eternity. I don't know if you remember this. A few weeks ago when I started this series, I went into the long portion of Matthew chapter 6 where where Jesus said, store up for yourself what treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy it. And we're like, yeah. Okay, what does that have to do with giving, God? God, that's heaven. How do I give to heaven? Well, we also have to understand that this is that our calling, our job as Christians is to bring heaven to earth. Or to make it on, like on earth as it is in heaven. So the spiritual storehouse is heaven. But the physical storehouse, I believe, is the local church where you attend. The community where you worship. It's where you're fed. It's where you, you, you get life from other people. But also through teaching and preaching and, and all of those things. That's the bread he talks about. So that there will be bread in your house. Both literally food for you to eat for yourself. But also food for your soul and your spirit. And I have many times I've had this conversation with people. They're like, man, we love the church. We're a part of this church. But a pastor, we hope it's okay. We give to other places. We don't give here. Because there's so many other people that do. And I'm like, wow. Is that, is, they're like, is that a requirement? And I, I'll just put it to you this way. How many of you eat a meal at Tim Hortons, but pay at Denny's? I don't know. Or your wife, listen to this, makes you a meal at home and you thank your grandmother. You see, I believe this we can give anywhere. And I believe God is going to touch us and speak to us. There's a lot of things we can do, but our tithe belongs to the church we attend so that there will be bread in the house for everyone. I want you to be blessed. I want you to be encouraged. See, here's where I'm going to finish. This is my last point. I actually have four other points, and this is where I'm going to stop today. We have to understand that God can do with 90% more than you or I can do with 100%. You see, it's always a test to put God first or to give to God first. It goes against our natural reasoning. And I'm a logical guy. you got to understand that. That, that. That's how I think. I understand that 100% of something is greater than 90% of something else. I still remember the pie charts in school. Here's a whole. Here's a fraction of that whole. But logic does not take into consideration God's favor and his blessings. You see, when we put God first, it releases supernatural favor and blessings over our lives. God does things that cannot be explained. And I've seen this over and over again in my own life, but also in other people who believe in this principle. I see these people get taken care of in the most challenging of situations. It doesn't mean they don't go through testing. It doesn't mean that they don't go through things here. But eventually, God just, it works out for them. And sometimes it works out in ways that you don't think about. Like how about a car that just doesn't break down? 
I remember I had a car and my stepfather, who this was in an area that maybe has always been his strength, he was like, man, how many kilometers do you got on that car? I'm like, 550,000. And he's like, wow, how do you get so much mileage out of your cars? I said, you want to know the secret? Yeah. He says, like, is it the oil you use? Is it the, I trust God. Oh. It's unexpected financial opportunities. It's promotions that you, you don't expect God can do things. It's resources that come from non-traditional places. I remember many years ago, my wife and I were just, we're a year into moving into our very first home and we were like a lot of people, we're really house poor and we wanted to put a fence in and we had all these things that we were like, man, we don't, we don't have any extra money. How's this going to work out, God? This is, thank you for the house, but I don't know what to do. But we just continue doing what we do and honoring him, giving to him, putting him first. And all of a sudden I opened the mailbox one day and I opened it up and, and, and there was a, a letter from a, a relative that I hadn't heard from for years and I opened the envelope and there was a check for 10,000 US dollars. Just felt like God put this on our heart. We were supposed to give this to you that you could use it right now. You just can't understand what God does in his economy, in his kingdom. Extra food and takeout orders. Meals dropped off the house. Months where we somehow ended up with more money than it you just did the math. You're like, how does it happen? It happens because God happens. When you trust him, when you put yourself in the place of honoring him, gospel-centered generosity, he takes care of you. You see, and I want you to understand this. Why do I say it's a foundation? For some of you, this might seem like a mountain, but it really is a foundation because tithing is only the beginning. It's the start of generosity because I believe God wants us to be able to do so much more. And I believe in your heart of hearts, many of you want to do so much more. You see things and you, you're around things and you're like, man, I want to help that person or I want to do this. But you need the resources to do it. And I'm telling you, God wants to put those resources in your hands. But you got to honor him first. got to put him first. God wants us to be free to give even more than the tithe to help wherever we find the opportunity. And here's my belief. I want to see freedom released in all of your lives. To see God move in mighty and powerful and miraculous ways. I want to see more healings and miracles and blessings and divine favor poured out on people. I'm believing it. I'm, I'm praying God for these things. I want to see the blessing of God just multiply. And as more of us do it, it not only impacts our life, but it spreads out and it touches everyone around us. Whew. I want to pray today for a few things. I want to pray first of all. I believe there are people here that God is stirring something in your heart. That you want to provide for miracles, that you want to see God do miracles through you. The God is speaking to you. You want to be somebody that your life, you're just so full that you want to get to that place where there's so much of an abundance. You can, you're just helping everywhere. 
heads bowed, eyes closed, who feels like God's speaking to you? That's where you're, God's leading you, directing you. Hallelujah. Father God, you see each one of these awesome, awesome people, Father God. Lord, I pray, God, that you would just pour down from heaven. You'd open the store rooms of heaven, the windows of heaven, as it says here, would be poured out upon each one of them, Father God. Lord, as they continue to serve you, they continue to step into you. Lord, maybe for some that are saying, I want to do that, they're like, I, I've been living in that other cycle, Pastor Todd. I've been in the lack cycle. I want to change what's going on. And God, I pray that you give them the grace and the mercy and the favor to do that. Lord, I pray that you would change situations and scenarios. But I pray more than anything, God, you'd give them a new level of faith to trust you. Lord, you'd forgive those of us today that realize maybe, God, we have been in other places, Jesus. Father God, I pray today, God, that you would do what only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen and amen and amen and amen. I really do believe this. I believe that God is in the process of turning some things around, changing situations. That God is going to release miracles through you today. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. We worship your name today, God. We worship your name today. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just thank God right now. Let's thank God for his grace and his goodness and his miracles. Let's thank God for his provision do more. I want to do one last thing before we go today. As we are in Easter season, I love what Naomi shared in our beginning of our service that we give because God gave to us. That he sacrificed Jesus, his son, so that we could have life and relationship with him. And maybe you're here today or you're listening online and you haven't experienced the goodness of giving your life to Jesus. You see, that's how we honor God. We give him our life. He gave his son for us to forgive us, to free us, to set us free. And then we give back our life to him. We say, God, do with me what you will. If you're one of those people today and you're saying, God, today I'm surrendering my life to you. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If God's speaking to you and you know that's you, would you raise your hand today? Because I believe God's here to help you, encourage you, Thank you. We're going to pray together. Anybody else today? Maybe you're online. Let's pray this together. Jesus, I confess that I've sinned. I ask you to forgive me, to free me, help me to become like you. I thank you for your death, burial, and resurrection. And I receive your free gift of eternal life. Hallelujah. We thank Jesus today. I want to encourage you, if you did that for the very, go ahead, let's give the Lord a hand here today. I want to encourage you, if you did that for the first time or you're rededicating your life, first thing you need to do is let somebody know, tell somebody, let them know in the chat area, come and talk to anybody here in this place. And secondly, I want to encourage you, um, get some, uh, let somebody know that you would like to be encouraged on how to walk out your faith in Jesus. You can do that by talking to any of our leaders here. I'll be at the front here for a bit at the end if you want to talk to me or some of our other leaders. Or if you're online or you're just a little bit shy, you can go to info at eastsidecitychurch.ca and give us your information and we will have somebody connect with you and contact you. Wow, what a great day.
I'm so excited about this next season. I'm excited about this Easter season. I want to invite you. Tomorrow night we have prayer from 6.30 to 8.30. It's been awesome. God's presence is there. We have a, a Good Friday service at noon. You can either join us online or in person. And then three services next Sunday. Bring somebody with you. Invite them to come because we're going to talk a lot about Jesus. Amen? All right. God bless you. Have a great day.